The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now we are joined in studio by Garda Commissioner Drew Harris, who's going to address some of the issues on his agenda at the moment. At that uh, vote of no confidence, which has been proposed by the GRA, and also the debate about antisocial behaviour and much more. Commissioner, you're very welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Now, the, the Garda are rarely out of the news, but uh, tragically in the news for the wrong reasons when uh, Garda Detective uh, Deirdre Flynn, Dee Finn, uh, lost her life. Well, uh, and indeed, as, um, thank you very much for bringing that up because I was just want to express my sincere sympathy with uh, her father on the loss of, obviously, his, his dear daughter, but also the loss to us all of a very dedicated public servant who's worked for almost 30 years within Garda Chicana, would have had 30 years service next year and was really a dedicated detective, but also then very dedicated as uh, a GRA representative, uh, representing her colleagues, uh, and also, I know, was very dear to her colleagues, but uh, and, but also to the local community in Dunleary, yeah. where she served with great distinction. And she certainly came to my door when we had some issues. I, I, I was acquainted with her. I wasn't a friend, obviously, because yes. that's not the relationship. Yes. But uh, she, she was uh, very nice to deal with, I say, when she came to my door. Yes, and... Um, Again, I express my condolences and obviously we will gather around and support her father and support her colleagues uh, at this time of loss. And uh, it is obviously a very tragic incident subject to investigation and hopefully then we can ascertain the full circumstances and be able to um, report those to your father. Now, uh, we move on to uh, the the big uh, item on your agenda, which is that decision by the GRA to hold a no-confidence vote in you. What is your reaction to that decision taken by them? Uh, Well, um, it is an item on my agenda, but the first item on my agenda, the first item on the agenda of the organisation is actually protecting the people of Ireland. That's my ultimate responsibility. Uh, We are here to keep people safe. We are here to provide a policing and security service and we're determined to do so. And my colleagues within Garda Shikana, both Garda staff and Garda sworn Garda members, are determined in terms of our responsibility to protect yeah. the public. But this so, is unprecedented to hold a vote of confidence or not in the Garda Commissioner. I mean, if they vote confidence in you, you carry on, no issue there. If not, what then? I mean, I know you'll be reassured by the Taoiseach saying you will not be removed, no matter what the result of the vote is, but still not a comfortable place to be should there be a no vote. Well, there's a couple of things to say about that. Uh, in, in the first place, I have a job to do. I have a very important job to do, and I have a lot of work left to do in, in my tenure, uh, which stretches out to 2025. So um, whatever the vote is, I'm, I'm not leaving. That was uh, my initial reaction, and indeed, on reflection, that still is my determination to stay on and finish the job that I was employed to do. We are delivering a reform package. We are delivering reforms that were agreed upon by the government following the Commission of Future of Policing. So that's what we are determined to do. We're determined in terms of creating a modern police service, uh, a police service which responds to the public, a police service which is led by information, and that requires uh, modernisation. Oh. We'll come to that in a moment. But uh, Paul Williams on this programme suggested that you could not afford to lose face among the international policing fraternity if there was a no vote, because after your tenure in the Garda Chicana, there may be other opportunities. Well, um, yes, I heard that and I was somewhat puzzled because uh, this, in effect, is the pinnacle of my career. 
This is the greatest privilege in terms of my career and the work that I've done in policing. I have um, 40 years service in policing this year. And so what I wish to do is finish off uh, my career in policing within Garda Shikhan as commissioner. And as I say, this is the greatest privilege of my career. I give it uh, my all and I'm entirely committed to the organisation and, and I'm entirely committed in, into providing a policing service to the citizens of Ireland. So this is your swan song one way or the other? Well, uh, this is it's an odd sort of swan song because I'm going at this 100% all the time. Now, uh, the fundamental grievance seems to be the return to the old roster. Are you for turning on this or negotiating it in some way? Uh, well, if set some of the context on this. Uh, we moved to uh, an emergency roster in 2020 with COVID. Uh, and in the meantime, then over the, the intervening period, we've tried to negotiate a new roster. I didn't wish to move back to this old roster because I wished to move forward to a new roster. But uh, the chances of doing that have receded. I entered this with optimism. I didn't want the workforce, in effect, to have to make two changes of roster. But we've had to go back to the old roster. And that's for very strong operational reasons. Now, they don't f- like it because if you do the sums, and I looked at a 60-day period, that's the best way to compare the, the two. Yeah. So uh, the pandemic roster, if you like, allowed them in those 60 days to work 30 days on, 30 days off. Yes. In the old roster, pre-pandemic, they work... 36 days on, 24 days off. Now, the number of hours is absolutely the same. Yes. But they have six days fewer off under that pre-pandemic roster, which is what they would return to than they had when they were on the pandemic roster. So they they will see it now as losing six days off. Well, uh, but one has to look at when we introduced this roster, the 12-hour roster, in effect, we had a flat demand curve. We were in the middle of COVID. We had the checkpoints. We had very few calls actually for assistance around crime. We had a lot of calls for assistance from the public, but pretty much a flat demand curve. That's changed. Society's opened up again. We have a nighttime economy. We have a business economy. We have people on the move and we have to respond to that demand. What the five shift system gives us in effect is overlaps. And if you look where we were before 2020 and 2019, there wasn't issues around visibility. Uh, for instance, that was not, uh, that was not one of the features. But you know what I mean? It's the ratchet theory. Once they get something, which is an extra six days off in a 60 day period, they don't want to give it back. Well, uh, and I can, I can entirely understand that. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to provide an efficient and effective service. And I would say the other piece about this is it's a very costly service, which does not meet the needs of the public. Now, we have high levels of confidence in the organisation, high levels of trust in the organisation. But where we do fall down is in respect of service delivery. Mm. 41% of people are not content with the service delivery that they got from Angarda Shikana. Do you think they became a bit soft during the pandemic? The Angarda Shikana? Uh, no, people worked very hard during the no, but that, pandemic. There was a perception that the OBS took over the streets. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I could I'll point to just the amount of police work even done the last six six months here in Dublin. The, the courts are full, the prisons are full. A, any uh, major incident which is reported, inevitably we get we we bring to justice the perpetrators. Quickly, detections are made and individuals are brought to justice. We're a very effective organisation in terms of the of the detection of crime, particularly around uh, serious crime. But we have the full continuum of responsibilities, and that includes our mm. national units as well as the local units and the local detective units. Now, one of the arguments advanced by the JRA would be that the manpower simply is not there to go back 
to the pre-pandemic roster. Um, what do you say to, to that argument? Well, uh, like any organisation, I have to uh, arrange the resources to meet the demand that comes in. And so demand comes in, I've got X amount of resources, and then that'll, that'll dictate service delivery. So some of the things that we are doing now, we may have to actually do less of, so that we staff out uh, the rosters. But all of that is being uh, worked through. Roster and arrangements are the manner in which we, you know, arrange our workforce to meet in effect 24-7 demand and then all the other specialist work that we take on. So that, that's why they're important. They are a management tool in terms of meeting the actual demand that the public places upon us. Now, uh, I mentioned uh, again in a 60-day period, losing six days that they had taken for granted during uh, the pandemic. There is also the suggestion that they will, under the new roster, lose uh, overtime, in other words, lose money. And that's got to be the case if you are trying to save money. It means that the new arrangements w- will provide less overtime. Well, uh, I have a budget for overtime. I have a budget um, this year of some 100 million euro. So it's not a small sum. Uh, and uh, because of this roster and the difficulty of meeting the demand through this roster, that's we're likely to be in a situation of overspend. Now, I am charged as an accountant officer, but I'm also charged in law in terms of the effectiveness and the efficiency of the organisation. So as a manager, as an accountant officer, I can't let a situation carry on where I know that we're going to be in a position of overspend. Mm. That's just simply unacceptable. But, and I'd be challenged at the PAC mm. in respect of that. A uh, hundred million. Does that, if I do the sums quickly, amount to an average of maybe 7,000 in overtime per person? Well, it, there there are some individuals uh, who... Um, who don't like the overtime and don't do the extra hours, and so others do do, um, do those those hours. But it is roughly that per per individual. But I would sort of I would say beyond that, it, that is hours worked. It is overtime, yeah. and it is part of my responsibility then to think the welfare of individuals and the amount of time they spend in work. One of the consequences of having four on, four off, particularly as the courts are back and, and you know, the courts have really increased their capacity to deal with the backlog, which comes from COVID, is we have so many indiv- individual members who are called as court witnesses. Like almost 30% of our overtime is in respect of court. So, so they're hanging around a big draw. in the courts. And we talked before about this. They're hanging around in the courts. The courts are not necessarily worried about Garda overtime. And they don't see it as part of their brief to facilitate the smooth running of the Garda Shikona. Is that a problem? I mean, and they do this to ordinary witnesses as well in civil cases where you could be hanging around for two days uh, waiting to be called. Well, because uh, in effect, this is such an issue for for us. We are working through practices which allow then, in effect, uh, Garda witnesses to be called either on time or on the day. And in effect, then not sitting about for days and end waiting for the summons to, to the box. Those matters could be arranged. And that's part of actually just the good management of, a, of um, an indictable mm-hmm. offence through the courts. But you, there's also then district court uh, cases as well. You know, we, we bring a huge amount of pros- prosecutions. Like even the first six months of this year in the two central divisions in Dublin, there's over 20,000 prosecutions. So you you can see the work that's going on. So going to court is an inevitable part of a guard's duty. Now, are you happy with the results that come out of court? I mean, there's the revolving door syndrome in the prisons uh, where people, you know, don't serve anything like their full sentence to make room for someone who's a more grievous offender. Then sometimes there's no room in the prison, so they don't serve time at all. Well, um, 
In, in part, my role is the prevention of detection of crime. And, but the, the prevention of crime and individuals' actions, part of that must be that they see an actual deterrence. Part of the deterrence is actually being caught um, and then the speed with which uh, they move through the criminal justice system and then the consequence at the far end. These are, you know, by and large... Uh, and I know people get fixated in the organised crime groups, etc. But by and large, crime is committed by individuals who live chaotic lives and make poor choices right throughout their lives. And part of that is getting, getting involved in crime. Now, we do a lot with juveniles around juvenile diversion. And uh, that is a a pretty successful uh, scheme in that two thirds of those juveniles will never see again. They're diverted away. The other third then, uh, and this is part of the, the work that that's underway already and well invested in terms of both ourselves but also the Department of Justice in terms of youth diversion schemes. That's a lot about diverting young people. Now, these are young people from, you know, uh, underprivileged backgrounds, perhaps chaotic lives at home, and they need some sort of settled pattern to their life. And that's what these youth diversion schemes are about. And again, they're internationally shown to work well, and we're one of the uh, countries which have, have implemented this well. Now, at the same time, uh, I understand entirely people's concerns around antisocial behaviour, but we would show, and, and our crime recording shows, that our crime is uh, around assaults. Uh, th- these are all on the decline. Our crimes around theft, around burglary, are on the decline. Uh, are on the decline and so over the last 20 years uh, areas of our you know criminal behaviour that's going on in this country have been in decline At the same time uh, the Red Sea Poll commissioned by Dublin Town uh, 74% of people said they felt safe in North Dublin City in 2016 that's down to 55% now after dark 73% feel unsafe in Dublin's north inner city on the south side somewhat better um, 91% felt safe in 2016 72% feel safe now uh, in the daytime and at night 61% on the south side feel unsafe in the city. Now, do you believe that's a perception or is that a reality? That they are unsafe. Well, well, that's how people have responded, and part of this is actually sentiment about uh, the city and what goes on in the city. So we're very, we're very acutely aware of the crime. We've been given additional money uh, in order to tackle crimes. So that being the shoplifting, bike theft, motorcycle theft, but also then concentrating on groups who are congregating, and that facilitates uh, uh, drug dealing as well. Do you so, do you need? other resources? I mean, do you need, uh, if you like, snatch squads? Do you need the paddy wagon on standby like it might be in the centre of Paris? Do you need more powers to be able to uh, disperse people? No, we have a wide range of powers to to, uh, police. We're given a wide range of powers to deal with the situations that that we face in front of us. But I would say in respect of the city and the additional 10 million, that will allow us then to deploy some of the national units uh, and particularly around uh, surveillance, but particularly focusing on, on crimes which have, which have a big impact as well. And there's an organisation around bike theft and motorcycle theft, and we want to get in on top of that. But also, we're very acutely aware of the street of street mm. level dealing and the mind, and but, we're but constantly happens, making detections. But it happens on, say, the the bridge at Merchants Quay. Uh, just beside the forecourts, not far from the Bridewell. It happens on O'Connell Street. Um, you know, you wouldn't see this in the key areas of tourism, like the Arc de Triomphe in Paris or in front of the Louvre. You don't see open drug dealing. It is dealt with. Well, uh, and uh, I would point to the number of arrests that we made y- this year for possession uh, for sale and supply, and they're up 24%. We've made some 2,653 arrests 
uh, for the first six months of the year. So that's, and that shows where our concentration is on. It's on street level dealing. Uh, and even those street level dealers, they are caught in a pattern of addiction. They are often dealing to, in effect to pay off uh, a drug debt. But we bring those individuals to, um, we do bring those individuals to justice and, and before the courts. So all of that's going on. We recognise all of all that's going on. I do think there's an issue just about uh, the perception and sentiment there is in respect of the city. But at the same time, I've made it my business to be in the city uh, in the evening time over the last uh, the last number of weeks as, as all of this is broken. And on Connell Street, huge footfall. There's a huge number of people walking about the streets. So the image of a, of a city which is deserted and tumbleweed blowing through it is incorrect. And, and the more that... It's not that, the tumbleweed blowing through that people are worried about. It's the other well, well, uh, aspect well, of, of but, who's blowing through it. But... When you're in the city and stand on a Connell Street, you see a vibrant street with a lot of movement, a lot of footfall on it, and people going about their business eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. I was there on Tuesday evening of last week, for instance, and I was surprised actually the number of people about enjoying the city. A lot of tourists obviously um, moving about, but people obviously felt comfortable to move about our city centre. Mm-hmm. What about visibility of Gardaí and O'Connell Street? Well, uh, again, I'll just point to the Operation Citizen that we've had for the six, first six months of the year, that uh, that we have put resources uh, to that. Um, I've said already about the number of prosecutions, over 20,000. So from those two north and south central divisions, so either side of O'Connell Street, some 20,000 prosecutions, 6,300 arrests have been made. So there's a very substantial amount of police work going on. But what I would point to then is to the new Community Safety Bill, and the involvement then of other agencies. In, in effect, we are dealing with, with one side of this problem in terms of how it manifests itself, itself on the street. I do think there are longer term solutions around mm. uh, addiction and services for those who are addicted to alcohol yeah. or I mean, drugs I, I, and I understand. mental health problems. Your job primarily is the fire brigade. You've got to try and deal with the issues as they arise uh, to try and prevent them as a more long term strategy which yourselves and other agencies yes. uh, will be committed to. The idea of community policing, time was when guards would live in the community and act in that regard. Um, is there a problem? I mean, can Gardaí afford to live in the communities now that they're supposed to be community policing? And as a corollary, is there a possibility that yourselves in the Gardaí Shukona, like the hospitality industry, might actually provide accommodation for Gardaí in those situations? Well, um, I think that uh, the reality, the housing economy reality strikes home for members of Angarda Shikana as it does for anyone else. Uh, the salaries are, are well known and and uh, in effect talking to uh, young members of Angarda Shikana who are in Dublin, they are on the periphery and I mean into the counties beyond Dublin. They're not living in County Dublin. Uh, and so there is travel there um, and one can almost tell that when you talk to individual members in Garda Shikana, you can nearly tell the level of service they have from where they're actually living and in proximity to this, to uh, Dublin and as time has moved on you, you can see people have just yeah. been forced further and further uh, out of Dublin Is there but a that, case that's though, the economy. that there might be accommodation in some of the Garda barracks? Well, and you uh, could have a family as was in the, the, the old days a place where the sergeant lived with his family? Well, we still have that, that in certain areas but more in rural locations and uh, I'm a great believer in that because it actually locates uh, the, the guard uh, with their family as, as might be in an area and I've seen that work and it's a great benefit to that local community. Is there a case for but, doing something similar in Dublin? Uh, 
it, the, the, the case I think would be difficult to make and just in terms of expense and where actually, where actually we'd go. We don't have the same, in effect, rural policing model in the, in the urban area and, and we haven't uh, in the past either. But I do think it's just a natural consequence of the economy of work that people are travelling longer distances to their workplace and, and we're the same, I think, as any other service, be it teachers or be it in medical as well. I'm a servant guard that says a, a texture. The commissioner stated last year he didn't have enough guard to reintroduce the six on four off on four off roster. He now has less guardy at his disposal. Also, members of my vintage are retiring in their droves at the first opportunity. Also, young members are resigning in numbers never seen before. So that's the recruitment and retention. So we have a recruitment and retention working group. Um, all the associations are part of that. Uh, we have some 470 uh, students in Templemore, and they will they will graduate from Templemore October, January, and March. Uh, and so there is, in effect, a supply of there's uh, a pipeline, co- but also there's a pipeline of those out the door. Well, well, uh, and I reg- uh, but I also recognise that we're in a position where we had recruitment surges. 30 years ago and indeed 40 years ago and those individuals now are coming to the end of their uh, end of their service but people have given 30 years of service to the organization that that's that's a long time in respect of then um those who resign, we're starting to learn more about uh, why people are are leaving the organisation, and unfortunately, some of that is concentrated around those with less service, because there are other alternatives, and in effect, their peer group isn't actually as being asked to do the same sort of work. Like policing is not is not easy. Uh, people uh, like guardy work on social hours, uh, and they don't know when they come on duty what they're going to have to deal with but some of them and it's this is a very regular occurrence they go, all the time there are traumatic and difficult situations going on right across Ireland and that's our guardy who are dealing with those and we've put huge welfare supports in place but and I would always say and like policing is a very rewarding profession and um, there's a lot of negativity spoken in respect of Angarda Shikana, despite our results, despite the supports that have been put in place. And it's wrong against what, what we are as an organisation. Two things you could do. You yep. could uh, elevate the retirement age, uh, the compulsory retirement age, yes. uh, to 65 or even beyond. On the other hand, you could allow recruitment of people over 35, uh, particularly uh, who might have specific skills and experience. Well, um, and the... Uh, the Minister of Justice has asked uh, for uh, my recommendations in respect of um, uh, those two areas, in respect of age, and we've been there's a recent uh, ruling from the Labour Court in respect of the age of joining, but also then uh, the retirement age. Now, last year, uh, around seventy individuals got to compulsory retirement of uh, sixty at sixty years. So. We're never going to be talking about huge numbers of people who are going to be working beyond that uh, into, into their 60s. But I do recognise that there are individuals some, who want to stay. Some might want. want to, yeah, no, absolutely. I do, do recognise that some individuals do want to stay. And in fact, actually, we have a programme where individuals who want to stay uh, make application and I submit then a recommendation mm. to the Minister of Justice in respect One of, of the other each things individual. that causes disquiet uh, among the force is the, the notion that uh, you're in a Garda car, patrol car, and you see someone going the wrong way down a motorway and you uh, try to prevent them doing harm to themselves and to others and, you know, something happens and a Garda ends up before GSOC or even before the courts and they think this is so unfair. Well, um, 
you put me in the difficult position there because there is an actual... I know there is an actual case, case. Yes, yes, I'm aware of that. that. So, so the, the general principle of the thing... Well, well, if we, yes, we step back to the, to the general principle. Well, um, our, our policy and my expectation of all uh, Gardaí is where they see individuals who, who they have a reasonable suspicion in terms of their involvement in criminality that they should be vigorous and determined in the pursuit of those in terms of bringing them to justice. And, and that is, you know, the unwritten but absolute expectation within Angarda Shikana. We are here to prevent crime. We're also here to detect crime. And that does include then the determined as an unvigorous uh, pursuit of individuals. And uh, and again, I'm talking in the general here. That's what we're about. That's my expectation. And I support my members in doing so. But the, the question of uh, suspensions may be prematurely um, and then they could be suspended for months and months and months pending a GSOC investigation. I mean, uh, justice well, delayed is justice denied. I don't know how many people you have currently on suspension awaiting a GSOC uh, well, decision. Well, the, there, certainly the associations raise the issue in terms of the length of time investigations um, take. Uh, but at the same time, suspension is a last resort in terms of individuals against which serious allegations uh, have been made. And in effect, it's where we have um, no option but actually to suspend an individual. Uh, and um, all of these are reviewed. If the circumstances change in any way, the, the a suspension will be immediately reviewed and if necessary, lifted. And I know even the last... But are you depending on the, the wheels of GSOG grinding a little more quickly? Well, uh, as you say, uh, justice delayed, justice denied, and and individuals are waiting uh, for an ordinary period of time for their cases to be uh, heard uh, and and resolved through the criminal justice processes. But at the same time, uh, stand over uh, the suspensions that we've made. I don't think anybody who's looking at the, uh, the circumstances could come to a different uh, conclusion. And these are serious matters. These are serious matters involving, regrettably, members of Angarda Shikana where allegations have been, uh, mm-hmm. been made against them. And, and you know, if I, if I say to you, uh, there's 113 people suspended, I regret that figure, but I don't feel of any choice in that. But you're talking about, say, for instance, domestic abuse, coercive control, sexual offences, that covers 25 of those. So like, I, have no, I have no option there when you look at the seriousness of the allegation. And indeed, some of the victims are actually members uh, of Angarda Shikonan as well. So that, that's the weight of responsibility that's placed on myself. There, um, uh, there's an assistant commissioner who's always looking at these, always responsive to the associations in terms of their representations. And I know the deputy commissioner as well is responsive to, uh, to this too. The question going back, I suppose, to perceptions, um, it's your job, I suppose, to restore not the confidence of the GRA, that's an internal management job, which you will, I'm sure, be doing, but the, the, the confidence of the general public to feel that they are policed safely, that Dublin City is a welcoming place where the perception, if not the reality of fear, can diminish. Well, uh, what, I, uh, what I would say, what I, what I point to is, one, all that we've done, two, the additional support from, uh, for, uh, from government, the, the things that we are addressing in respect of uh, recruitment, like the outreach that we had in respect of our recruitment, and that, that has been successful. Now, there's more that uh, the Minister 
uh, wants me to do and certainly we're very active in looking at that and making recommendations um, to the Minister and to the Department then to uh, to consider. So we are a growing organisation, we're an organisation that is being uh, invested in and supported and that then in turn uh, means that then we're a capable and competent organisation in terms of policing. We do bring individuals to justice. The next piece then is actually our presence yeah. then on the city and in terms of people feeling safe there. Would I see lots of Gardaí on O'Connell Street today? Would I feel well, safe walking from Gardner Street to Store Street tonight? Well, op- Operation Citizen uh, will be on. I don't know precisely how many are on, but usually that's in the order of two or three sergeants and 15, 16 Gardaí are on. That's going to be supplemented by both the dog unit and the horse unit. The additional money means that we'll be able to use further uh, members for both overt and uh, overt work, but also investigative work against specific individuals. All right. Um, finally, I suppose we should look at the positive uh, yes. of your tenure in office. Uh, what do you think you've achieved? Well, I'd point to a whole uh, uh, series of areas, areas, but I think one of the, the things I'm most proudest about is in respect of our response to uh, domestic abuse and um, the, the policing response to the respect of those who are most vulnerable in our society. And in the, in the middle uh, of all of these awful incidents, we had the awful attack on a US citizen, but similarly then also on my desk, I'm seeing very serious domestic abuse incidents. And that's an area where we as a society, certainly we as a police service, really have to up our game. Huge harms happening there. And if, even if you look at our homicide figures, uh, homicide in all areas has reduced except in respect of domestically motivated homicide. So that's an area of concentration. I'm very pleased to have done that. I want to expand that into terms of further work in respect of human trafficking. In respect of the organisation, um, equipment in terms of vehicles, uniform, uh, the mobility device, which in effect is the computer uh, in their hand, and the huge amount of welfare supports that we've put in place for individuals and body cams. as well. Body cams are on their way. Body cams will make a big difference as well. That'll have a big impact on the behaviours that are exhibited towards Gardaí because in effect, I've seen it happening, people settle down when they see the red light of the camera flashing at them. They do settle down. Behaviours are moderated. And uh, reduction in paperwork for the rank and file? They give out about it all the time. Well, it's not the paperwork, it's the computer work now. And we're moving towards um, a police service that was uh, envisaged in many inspectorate reports and also in the Commission of Future Policing, we'll move towards a far more um, computer-based service. We're in, the, we're in the third decade of the 21st century and we're moving towards processes around investigation, management, but also then duty management, etc. Now, I spend a billion on salaries. I should know where people are and what they're doing and when they're on. And, and one needs a computer system uh, to do that. So, it, But at the same time, we have heard all that's been said around uh, people concerned about the amount of work involved in these and the bureaucracy, as it's described, in respect of that. And we have responded. Uh, we have uh, streamlined systems. And again, uh, we'll have another further look at that because I do recognise I don't want individuals sitting in front of computer screens. I want them out in the ground. But at the same time, at point two six months in the city centre alone here with 6,000 arrests, you don't make arrests stand, uh, sitting behind a computer. People are out and about doing their work as well. Commissioner Drew Harris, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.